Welcome to The Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. As listeners will remember from episode number 22, recorded just three days ago on February 22nd, 2022, Darren Steinbach of Team Ben Racing, who's providing media support for the team, called in live from the AR Panama to give a mid-race update. That Flash podcast was quite popular with our listeners, so I reached out to Darren again, and today's episode, number 23, has both Darren and Ben Racing's Jason Magnus. At the time of this recording, the team just finished the race a few hours earlier, but Jason is able to pull it all together and give us a great overview of the race and Ben's experience. This race was a wild time for everyone. And thank you to Darren and Jason for joining the Dark Zone. Enjoy this episode. Um, it's great to be here because it means that I'm not racing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when the race stops. Yeah. We have lots nope. of uh, race stops this time, so this yeah. is the final one. Now. Yeah, this is the final race stop, yeah. So, so Jason, to give our, our listeners a, a sense of what's going on right now, how long ago did you finish AR Panama? Um, we finished uh, this morning. Darren would probably know uh, better, but I think around 10 a.m. Yeah, it was 10 a.m. Um, okay. And yeah, so you know we've we've had enough time to take a shower and you know take the first of many many naps. Um, you know, the first one just kind of like sets it so that you can communicate with human speech again. A exactly. Bit. Exactly. And you're doing a fine job right now doing that, Jason. So keep it up. Right. Good job. If you fall asleep mid podcast, that's okay. No shame. We have Darren right yeah, next to you to, to fill in. Yeah. So, so if I understand correctly, um, and after a busy day of running around here, I've had a chance to scan the results. I believe that you are the first North American team to cross the finish line. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that that um, you know there were there were a bunch of um, different uh, I guess calculations to do just because you know a lot of the the, the both kayaking stages were affected by the storms and the wind, um, but um, so there were time credits kind of all over the place. But yeah, it looks like we we were the the top North American team. Got you. And there were there were so the race itself and. I always recognize that when an adventure race ends at this magnitude, all of the memories are one big jumble, right? It feels like the race started five minutes ago and five days ago and five years ago. You're trying to piece it all together. It sounds like from the at-home viewing experience that this was a, a typical expedition race where, you know, the, the plan begins, the race starts, and everything kind of goes haywire from the beginning. From the start of the race was in a different spot due to winds, the paddle, the heat was there. Walk us a bit through your experience so far. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to race kind of all over the the world and there's a special flavor. Now I'm, now I'm lumping Central America into what I normally would have said, South American races. Um, and I've done, you know, all kinds of races, but, but South American or, or Central American races have a special flavor to them. We'll just say, um, and you know, one of the things that we've seen a lot is it's, it's a different culture um which is why we race to experience these things and everything's just a little looser and the logistics are more difficult um maybe it is that the weather is more challenging um but you know having done six of the patagonia expedition races having done you know the the fabled pantanal brazil race where everything kind of fell apart in a huge way um you know we got here and it so you know we were just kind of rolling with it and when they said oh yeah 
you're starting off the map eight kilometers away. <laughs> you know, in the bus in the morning, everybody's kind of the lightest race packs they think they can get up and over the volcano with. And then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, if you don't recognize anything, it's because you're not on the map yet. And we have to leave you here because the winds are too strong at the start. And I, th I think what that means is there were really strong winds. There've been all strong winds all week, but it, it was logistically difficult for the race start mainly because they wanted to have really cool flags and a big archway and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And they just couldn't do it. Um, so they ended up, you know, building a archway and flagging and a really cool thing in the bottom of this, like, you know, volcanic glacier river. Yeah, it looked like a bit of a gully with, with large boulder sized rocks that you had to yeah, jump on like, at the very start of the race. It was literally in a river. And the first thing we had to do is like cross through the arch and then cross this raging river you know and, and nobody it was it was you know it was, it was classic right it, it reminded me of the scenes from the expedition alaska where like people choose poorly and they're slipping on the boulders and getting washed downstream and and um you know but they said go and so you've got all these adventure racers saying the only instructions we have are run eight kilometers up this river valley and then we'll be at the start that's on our map yeah, so I haven't known many races that haven't started on the map. So that's a new one. The, the idea that you have to trek to the start of the race on the map is good. And it, I believe you went up and over the largest, the highest point in Panama. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely started with a bang. It was a huge amount of elevation gain right off the bat. And then I think harder on, on me and a lot of the races was the elevation loss. So we basically, you know, had this river valley thing, which are just big boulders and, and crossing the water you know, probably a hundred times to kind of find the best line and then up and over the volcano, which was something like 20, you know, 2,600 meters. So 8,000 feet of elevation gain and then 9,000 feet of loss. Um, just all, all on your feet. Which, what's, that yeah. just trashes your legs in the beginning of the race. Like all of a sudden yeah, you're that's... walking down for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. The descent was 20 kilometers and lost you know, that, that 8,000 feet. So it was, it was just crazy steep. We're losing 800 feet a kilometer for the whole way down. Wow. Um, wow. And everybody's trying to run it, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, that, that just, that just, it, I saw a lot of trashed feet when I saw the photos, Darren did a, a heck of a job and, and kudos yeah. to you, Darren, for your, your work with, with team bend and carrying everything forward. And a lot of the folks at home had a really, really strong understanding of the race because you're a hard work. So thank you for doing that. Um, some of the images Darren, that you put up of people's feet and of their, of their bodies, which was really otherworldly. Did you see that in a lot of the transition areas that people were just beat up? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the two things that made this race unique is, you know, as a race director, I would have looked at that, that first stage and known that it was going to be really brutal on the feet. Uh, maceration, you know, which is when you know, you've got the heat and, and that much pounding. But then with the new start, it just basically made it worse because, you know, the recipe for maceration, which is when your you know, feet kind of turn into that, that hamburger is like, get your feet wet make sure it's really hot and then run them over, you know, rocky, uneven ground and then make, and then as soon as they're about dry, get them wet again and do it over and over and over again. And that's what the start was. It was like, it was awesome because we were just doing it and we're like, you know, we, we were just hoping to get to the end of that stage with feet mostly intact. And what was your there. total time of the race? What was your, your, how many days did you go for? Oh my God, that's too much to ask. Um, that's, no, a, that's, I, that's funny. Like, like that happens at the end of it. It's all one yeah. big time frame for you, right, Jason? So Darren, do you have yeah. any calculations? 
I think it was ex- almost exactly four days, right? Because we started yeah, at yeah. 10 on yeah, so. Sunday and we ended at 10 on, let's say Wednesday. Yeah. So it was exactly four days. Four days. Great. Okay. So 24, 48, 96 hours. Over those 96 hours, Jason, what's your estimation for sleep? Um, I mean, you know, t- kind of talking to the, the race because there were these two, like the kayak stops or the weather holds or whatever you want to call them, the, the changes, we, all, we got sleep. Gotcha. Um, which was kind of interesting because basically the race felt like it had three mass starts um, with, you know, with some time credits and it was fun. And it was also really brutal because, you know, when they, when they put you on a hold and said, you know, like when they sorted everything out and they had to cancel the, the second kayak because of the wind um, all of a sudden now they're transporting you. So you, you know, it's in quotation mark, you sleep, on a tiny bus jam-packed with sweaty, tired adventure racers while they bus you around and get ready to say go again. Um, so you feel like you've slept, but that comes after 45 hours of, you know, beating up your body and not sleeping. So but, Well, that's really uh, challenging because it isn't, it isn't like, I mean, sitting in a, in a, in a jostling Panamanian bus isn't exactly restful. So, I mean, you had to get still, you had to get all your muscles, had to get tired, you had to get in kind of a prone position, then you had to restart over again. Yeah, and and the buses. Yeah, they're also they're they're Panamanian buses, which means they're actually party buses that play loud music, have lights underneath them. But one of them had a side pipe exhaust, and they all had snorkels on them, uh, and they were yeah really intense <laughs> and and little, and like every single seat is full, and they don't have any storage for your bag, so like bags are on everybody's lap, and you're just there and. It, you know, it, it's back to the South American kind of racing, even Central American. It's like nobody really knew what was going on. Like that, that you, you're kind of along for the ride. Like you get in a bus. I thought it was going to be an hour ride. Six hours later, it's we're lost. Like literally the bus is lost. He's stopping in the middle of the jungle at all these tiny roads. Like the bus sounds like it's about to break down. And we're just like, what is going on? Um you know, and then eventually like you show up and they're like, okay, you're going to start again in 37 minutes. And you're just like, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that, uh, that second, uh, or the third start, I guess the second restart was in a very remote spot. And we, like, we had to cross a bridge that was about a butt, a bus width. I think it was maybe an old railroad bridge that they'd put some metal plates on. I was scared crossing it in a Kia. Um, and everyone had like, well, I would estimate maybe a quarter of the racers had wrecked severely on the first bike leg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, Central and Florida, it was, it was Central Florida got knocked out. Yeah. They got knocked out. And uh, so everyone had battle wounds. And uh, Jason has a really good one. One of his, uh, one of his butt cheeks looks like um, Starry Night by Picasso. Oh. And so actually sitting in a bus um, is worse than yeah. <laughs> like sitting on a bike seat. Well, I, you know, I always like to bring class and culture to the podcast. So knowing that your buttocks now look like a famous painting, right. we're really, we're yeah. really turning the, the volume I mean, up here. <laughs> and we're, I mean, we're already licensing it as an N- NFT. So, you know, we, we, we gotta, we gotta figure out how to make these move forward. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, we're, Chelsea and I are lucky because we've kind of had this experience of, of the restarts and especially the windy paddles in the Patagonia expedition race. And we love, you know, we feel really fortunate that we were far enough ahead in the field that we are strong paddlers that we did get to go out on that first paddle. And it was amazing. It was really rowdy. Um, 
we didn't bring sales, which, you know, sales were allowed and, and to us, they just kind of were more hassle, but it was like a perfect downwind, um, you know, like epic conditions for, for sailing, but really, really rough. And then, and then really hard to control your boat. So some of the, the top teams, um, were, I think one of the reasons they started the rescue is because they were just being blown out to this ocean. Right. And they're just like, and you we, were on the, we, you were on the plastic sit atop kayaks, right? You were in the big bathtub kayaks. Yes. And that's, you know, someday we should sit down and do a podcast on all the things that are wrong with adventure racing and how easy they would be to fix. And, you know, open the Pandora's box of like sit on top kayaking is not a sport. Yeah. Right. And awesome. so it, it can be eliminated from this, you know, world's toughest sport thing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, we're, we're in sit on top kayaks in, you know, sees that if, if like the Navy had come out and seen a sit on top kayak out there, they'd have been like, number one, you guys are idiots. And now we're going to rescue you. Yeah. You're coming off the water. How cold was the water? Uh, The water was great. I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's, um, it it wasn't that cold. It just that, yeah, literally it was, you know, we're, we're crossing these big channels along the coast of Panama and the wind is just like, blowing us where we don't want yeah. to go. I think the tide was going up too at that point, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, for us, we're fighting the tide. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty interesting to, to be so, out there. So after, after that trek, though, you, that was when you came into that big mountain bike, right? It was trek to a mountain bike? Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the mountain bike that really hurt a lot of those teams because did you keep going downhill on the mountain bike? Yes. Yeah, because okay. it, it was, you know, we're, we're looking at it, and this is a, a – you know, a warning warning sign for future expedition races. We always look at the elevation profile when they give it to you before race. You're like, oh man, this race starts at you know three thousand meters and it ends at zero meters. And you're like, that's awesome. That means my net gain for the race is you know minus ten thousand feet. But you know, it also <laughs> tends to yeah. We just it was really great, but it was uh, you know it was really steep and really loose. And there's no you know in most of these places there's no curated single track right so there might be single track but it's like an old um you know jungle trail that that can be really nice and then all of a sudden this volcanic rock that just jagged and, and you don't know i mean there were there were sections on the last mountain bike that were deep in the forest these you know forest roads that they kind of dwindled into nothing and you're not even sure you're in the right place anymore and you know deep leaf beds covering up you know big big choke holes and you're just bombing down these things and you know, and crashes were happening all over the place. So the, um, so you went from the trek to the, to the big mountain bike. Did you get back on your feet after that? Or did it take you into the first paddle? No, we did. It was a trek mountain bike track. Okay. Um, okay. And that was, you know, it was, it was super, I, you know, I, that was one of the neat things. I really like it when races have different elements or different, you know, types of, of disciplines. So the first track was obviously the volcanic mountains. It was all on trail and road. Other than that, the bonus eight, kilometers of riverbed so it was like on an established trail to the top of the volcano and literally road running on this really rough four-wheel drive you know downhill and then um the second trek was just very very flat it was in this like volcanic plateau farmland you know with you know really kind of just shooting bearings and, and going long distances and trying to figure out how to how to cover distance quickly um and so that was really neat. And that had a rope section in it as well, big, big repel. Um, speaking, of, speaking of shooting bearings, how did you find the navigation overall? Um, honestly, the, you know, the, it, it was, it was, I guess, hit or miss. Um, it wasn't really consistent. A lot of the navigation was pretty easy. 
um, very similar. I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts on Spain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It, it was most of it was a very similar style race of like, you know, not as much pavement, but like we're using trails to cross the big section of this country, right? Um, I think the exception was, which which probably proved too much for, you know, some with, with the wind too, was that was the kayaking. Like in, in some sections there, like you're, you know, there's huge distances that you're trying to shoot a bearing across the open ocean, right? At night or, or to get to a thing and you're just like, wow, I'm going 40 kilometers, like without any known, you know, exact point. Yeah, um, if you're off by the littlest bit over that distance, a small yeah. error, all of a sudden you're miles yeah, and miles and miles of the wrong spot. With, yeah, especially with the wind. We were doing, you know, six and eight kilometer crossings of these channels with the wind blowing out and, you know, trying to aim for a bay that we had by bearing. And it was really, really difficult because you're getting blown so far off course, um, you know, and, and you can't really see eight kilometers nautically. Um, but yeah, the, the actually the last leg, um, you know, the, the navigation got more challenging. The last two legs had significantly more route choice. Um, and, you know, say so the character of the race changed a lot. The last trek and the last mountain bike okay. were, were what I would say was, was really world-class, you know, adventure race, world series well, style. What was interesting there was, was that you had the way the race moved across the country and it came down, it came down the country on the Southern side, yeah. clearly that huge paddle that was canceled appear to you cross such a body of water there that you appear to be in a brand new region of the country. And that's what you're talking about now. It was just everything had sort of changed. You were closer, you were closer to the water, more coastal, I think is is what it would be. It it looked more coastal on the maps. And and that that last trek was navigationally was super easy in the sense that you could literally get on a road and walk that road from the you know start of that that stage to the end of that stage, no checkpoints. Got you know, it. It, it, and adventure racing is is so cool because I think in the states we get used to checkpoints, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you know, in USA, right? like that, that thing is like nationals had seventy something checkpoints. I don't know, it was, it was crazy, right? And then mm-hmm. here's this you know four day World Series race that had seventeen checkpoints. Okay, um, and ten of them were on the last bike stage. Um, so there, you know, there were stages that were like, you start here, you finish there and go however you want. And so what that does, that, that opens up not missing a checkpoint and then being unranked. It's just like, how well can you look at this and, you know, and maybe cross that section of, of area in 15 hours versus 24 hours. Um, gotcha. Yeah. It looked like that, that final trekking section appeared to be right along the coastline and the tides played a role. Yeah. Tides played a role. And, you know, for us, it was a lot of, of how much we hated the heat. We'll, we'll say that is that on the actual coast, like on the beach, you get this sea breeze, which, which made it, you know, at least a tiny bit bearable. And then there was a, like a, a road that, that was just inland by, you know, a hundred meters. Most of the time, it was basically going up, you know, up to the top of the bridge and then down to the next ravine. And, and so very straightforward, no navigation. You could just sit on that and go as fast as you wanted, but it was so hot. Right. Um, it, right. it, it became this, this chance of like with the tides, can we make it around that headland? Can we run this beach? And so there was a lot of, you know, it was really cool. You come down to a beach and you'd see all these tracks, right. And you sometimes see teams ahead or see them behind you. And then it was just a matter of like, who could push the coast longer or who tried it and got stuck and had to come back. And, and so there was a lot of, um, oh, you, had the, really you, you could possibly be, to use the word cliffed out, you could get cliffed out on the beach. You could go down yeah. the beach a certain, and run out of sand and have to come back out and go up on the highlands. 
and and we you know like were uh we, we so badly wanted to be on the beach that you know we were we were there when high tide was going into low so there was a lot that we couldn't do and then we just started you know about two hours after high tide pushing stuff and we'd get you know we were you know rock climbing as the waves are crashing on us right, right? just because we really did not want to you know cut our losses and go back at one point we were on these you know, craggy things. And we saw this like little tiny hole through the rock. Right. And we couldn't go around the outside because the way they're crawling it, but we were able to, you know, to, to climb through and, and, you know, Chelsea just kept pushing. She, she kept wanting to go back down to the beach. So we did some pretty harebrained stuff. Well, that's, um, a, that's an interesting dynamic. You climb down into a hole, right down on the, uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're climbing down and all of a sudden you're, you can climb into a hole in the beach, a wave could come in. And all of a sudden yeah. you're no longer in a hole. You're now in a, in a, in a water filled tunnel. Yeah. And I think, you know, she just, for some reason, she got really into it. At one point, like all of us were like, uh, Chelsea, Alex, and or no, my, myself and Alex and Corinne were all like, we got to cut our loss. This is crazy. We're on this scrub slope above the cliffs. Like everything's loose and, and we're trying to get down to this beach that we don't even know if we can get off it. It's surrounded right. as well. And she's just like, no, let me go a little further. And like, she eventually finds the super terrifying way down. Um, and, and then we're just like, well, now we're committed. And luckily we were able to, you know, get out of there, but it was just going to be a funny thing. And we call the, call the race director. So we're on this tiny hidden, like secluded pirate beach that, that you didn't yeah, we even don't know, know where we are, <laughs> but yeah. if you can come and get us, that'd be great. Send the boat. <laughs> so that went into that. And obviously the, the, so it's interesting when you think about it, the amount of distance, the time between, the beginning of the race, the fact that the race was halted a couple of times because of the, of the navig, because of the, uh, the, the kayaking. And then all of a sudden the, you had to restart again. Those last two sections were felt like a standalone sort of race a little bit. It sounds like. Yeah, they did. Um, and they did a really good job. You know, I'm always cognizant of the, the two hats. One is the racer, one is the race director. And I know it can't be easy. Like nobody, right. no race director likes to spend years and years creating their, you know, their, their baby race. And like, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is happen the first time in Panama and then to have things, you know, not, not turn out the way that they were planned. Um, but it was a really testament to them and their crew and the volunteers and, and like the logistical nightmare that it must've been of trying to move a hundred racers around, you know, the, the backwoods of Panama at a moment's notice. Um, but but still, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I mean, the, the yeah. race director should get a ton of credit. Right. I mean, yeah. this is you, you, you've directed races yourself, you know, Darren, yeah. you've been at a ton of races that, that, that Ben has done. You've raced big races. Um, anybody who has the guts to put on a race of this breadth and this length and this size, short of mm -hmm. them making decisions in which racer safety was truly in doubt, which was never the case in this race, yeah. they deserve all the credit in the world for what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I think that's always going to be, you know, an issue. There are definitely people that are going to look back at this and say, man, those paddle legs, you, you should have seen it coming. You know, there's no way you're, you know, going to do that. And some of the best memories I have are the, the paddle legs that didn't get canceled right. in the Patagonia expedition race. Like only 30% of them ever went off. But right. every year we, we got to go, you're like, maybe this is the year we're going to get to do a paddle. And when it finally happens, you know, um, and you know, so I think that that it's it certainly it's not good. Like I am also as a race director, I'm always trying to build what we call stormproof races, right? So no matter what the weather is, no matter what it's raining, when you know, like dark night, like it's going to happen, right? Um, and I'm lucky to live in a place where that is usually very very possible. But 
you know, let's face it, putting somebody in a 50 kilometer open ocean crossing, right, is just not, you know, in a race setting where where things can go wrong. Like you're going to get wind, you're going to get storms, you're going to get that stuff. Um, yeah. There's but, so many factors that are aligned against yeah. that type of stage for it to actually, it has to thread the needle yeah. for a lot of different things, the tides, the weather, the wind, everything has to go the, in the right direction. The the use of sit on top kayaks, you know, anyway, right. well, um, it's, it's, uh, but they, they did, it felt like it was still a race when all this was happening because, Good. you know, we didn't really have all the information we wanted as races because it was also the language barrier, but mm-hmm. it also wasn't slow. Like you, you'd finish the transition um, and they, you know, w- when we, we got stopped halfway through that first kayak, we'd made it to this portage point. Um, nobody was there. We just, you know, came around this thing and, and huge winds and, and it was getting dark and we're like, well, we got to at least make it here because we could shelter we're screwed if we don't and we make it there and nobody really knows what's going on but they're like you need to stay here right we we put a call in and within an hour and a half you know they've got us we get in a truck they drive us an hour and they're like this is your new ta you know you're leaving you know 45 minutes to start a staggered everything you know and so you're like wow yeah i got i got a couple hours of rest but i needed that anyway and you know and so it was it was like that like when they canceled the second one you know, it was like, here's the plan. You guys are going, you have this much time, right? And everything's staggered. Here's your time credit. And and so it was, it wasn't like, we'll figure it out at the end. It was like, everybody's still racing. So that was, you know, it was a huge testament that, that all these people came and, you know, it was the first year in, in, in AR Panama and they definitely have some things to figure out, but they, they put on a really solid, um, they just got to turn the freaking temperature down. Yeah, warm, right? Warm. How hot was it? How, how hot did it? How, how this? There's how it feels yeah. and how it really is. What was the what was the number on the on the thermometer? Well, I, I didn't do the conversion. Is up to thirty C, I think. So I think it, that's close to. I think it's close to ninety. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. especially coming out of the Pacific Northwest, you had said that the other day, Darren, in our other podcast, that for teams coming out of out of Bend and coming out of Canada, it just feels so much warmer because we're not used to it yet. Yeah, it was oppressively hot. Even I, I was just standing in the sun, feeling sick, gotcha. um, not having done anything at all. Yeah, there were. It was either the first day when we were in the mountains up at the volcano, you know, and they told us in the race briefing, like, make sure you take all your mandatory gear because yeah, we know it sounds crazy to bring a mid layer to Panama, but it gets really cold in the volcano, right? And we're running up this volcano, thinking, you know, it's deathly hot. And and knowing that that all right, we're at the highest point of the course, and everything's just going to get hotter. Um, and the humidity too. I think in the middle of the night, we, you know, I usually look forward to trying to get a little bit of sleep somewhere in the like three to five a.m. range. Um, but oh my god, as soon as that sun went down, we're just like we get twelve hours to right. race as hard as we can because we were just dripping. Like it's it's you know midnight and you're hiking, trekking, mountain biking, whatever it is, and, and sweat, like you can just feel it coming out of your pores. I don't know. Everything is wet, you're wet, your pack's wet, and you're doing the math in your head of what, how much you're drinking versus how much you're sweating in your yeah. yeah. And in the daytime, like, you have to wear clothing because you will also just like burn to death. I mean, right. like, like the sunburn. And so you just can't, you know, as, as a racer expedition, like taking care of yourself is really hard because you can't adequately put on sunscreen like while you're racing through the jungle. And so basically you just have to wear clothes. Cover how everything. How'd your stomach hold up during the race? Uh, I was, uh, my stomach was great. Alex is, you know, Alex took the brunt of it, um, you know, and we were talking about it afterwards. 
I think at this level of racing and this kind of race, like your team, well, the, um, like somebody on your team is going to get, we don't know what that is, you know? It's, it's fireworks. They've been going up every once in a while. Uh, maybe another team is coming in. Um, but they're, they're celebrating right now as we speak, as we're recording this live, there's fireworks going on outside. Yeah, some, somebody survived that. <laughs> it was supposed to be festival this week, I think. It got canceled because of COVID. So I think yeah, well, it's, car- it's Ash Wednesday next week, so it's Carnival. Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was the just just the amount that we had to you know stay on top of that so that we didn't you know didn't fry and um stay covered and it was yeah it, it was pretty remarkable like i i think all of us were aware that somebody on the team was going to go down right. and not just us like like all the teams are out there you know and and there were definitely teams that that that's just like when you do a high altitude race if you live in ecuador you're doing pretty good right. um you know the, the Brazilian teams and and the Panamanian teams and um, the Ecuadorian teams like they are they were better suited and they kind of mm-hmm. knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us joke like, "Oh yeah, I spent some time training in the sauna." It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way yeah. to replace it. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. I, I live at sea level and I went and I raced in yeah. Ecuador. Like there was no preparation for that. Like you just get down and hold on as long as you can. Yeah. I know um, that you've uh, you've had a lot of success with the with four hour fuel with what you've been working on for yourself. Yeah. How did that work out for you down there? It was, it was awesome. Um, I mean, I used it for probably, you know, 70, 75% of my calories. Um, you know, a big piece of that was going to be the paddle, the, the entire first paddle while we were paddling for us, that was like eight hours. That's, that's all I had. And then, um, it was just like a plan. And then on the mountain bikes, like the mountain bikes was, you know, I, I have a cool setup on the mountain bike. So I just have two water bottles, like right behind the stem, like to kind of hang those the, and then two on the, on the frame. So I just have, you know, um, what was that? 80 ounces of, of, of fuel there. And three of those are filled with whatever, you know, my new favorite is cherry, which I, this was the first time using that. Um, and it was funny in the heat. Normally I really like some of this, the staples, um, like the, the banana and, and the mango, but somehow like the the lemon and the the cherry i could just imagine they were limeade and somehow they drank a little cooler right, like the, right. The, right. they tasted colder in my mind i was like i didn't have the banana that when it gets warm it's like i don't know it's like you know whatever like you just have this thing in your head and then i i can have a you know a cherry limeade um and yeah so it, it's been working well and and um i know chelsea you know primarily sourced off of that it's it's um you know i've talked about it a little bit in, in some of my discourses as i do more and more racing i need less and less choices right i i like when i'm out there in an expedition race especially choices can be debilitating like yeah. when you get into your ta box and you're like everything looks good nothing looks good and you're just like what do we want and and for me fueling is is lets me you know be at my best as an athlete so a lot of it is just kind of taking and and knowing that like those two you know three bottles on my bike that's 12 hours of food um so um yeah and and we'll see you know we've got like that's you know i I know we've been having some athletes we're going to have some some more athletes help us test it and really refine the packaging because they keep exploding um so that's no good um i mean just some of the first prototypes like went out and you know i don't know what the postal service is playing football with them or whatever but um yeah you know you don't need 800 you know calories worth of powder exploded when you open your your mail so i guess that gets um, that's a tough conversation on the old customer service phone line yeah um, but it's been i mean it's it's been really fun 
I really appreciated Chelsea and, you know, and, and Darren and, and kind of our team really all doing the heavy lifting on, on trying that stuff and, and dialing it in and, and really, really using it. Um, and good on you for, for sort of digging into that, the using your race experience and then designing a product around it. That's going to work out well for you and then testing it on yourself. That's, it's going to work yeah. out great, right? You're going to get it dialed in eventually and the packages will no longer explode. And next thing you know, it's people are using yeah. it all the time. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was really, it, it was really fun to, to use this time in kind of the, the deepest level we have. Right. Um, and you know, like our, our food, our food weight was really tiny. Like, you know, you come into the TN and I grab my little, little thing. And normally you have something that weighs, you know, three or four or five pounds and has all these choices. And, and I grab this bag and I'm like, is this really all I'm going to need for the next 12 hours. Um, yeah. So, um, so knowing that you're you're just seven hours post race, and I know that with all the restarts and the and the staggered start and the staggered stops and all that, do you know where you finished up overall in terms of the race? Or are they still figuring that out? Yeah, no, I think again, I think it's all preliminary, but I think we finished in fourth. Um, Congratulations! Which, yeah, thank you. And you know, we had we had definitely some some goals, and we've been doing a lot of, um, especially Chelsea and I, a lot of really kind of pointed training as I get older to kind of see where, you know, where I can get in the, in the sport in the next five years. Chelsea is not even really understood where her ceiling is yet because she's just, just become more and more phenomenal as an athlete. This, this race in particular, like she was just carrying two packs basically the entire race. Um, you know, it, it, and you, you kind of can tell the measure of a mountain biker too, or, or endurance mountain biker on day three or four of an expedition race, because it's like how you just get these super steep, crazy, loose hills. And it's like, you know, one or two athletes in the field will make it to the top of that. You know, most of them will get off at the bottom and then it kind of, you know, becomes like, oh, can I make it to this point, this point, this point? And Chelsea over and over and over again, just like climb. Right every single yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know the calculator yeah. handy, but I like to do her weight to strength ratio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. she's it's, part fairy or something. Yeah, it's the best in the team. Other other teams are starting to comment to me on a, about how strong she is. Yeah, like, and there's a number. There was a, a woman on the Brow team, Christina, um, who we rode with some. Um, they also like just this phenomenal, like you know, small female human. They just like get to these hills, and we're just like, it just it was cool as a racer because I got inspired. You know, like realistically, it's not you're on a team, and it's not that much faster to like push your bike up that damn steep hill or ride it. And right. it's debatable, which is worth the energy or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but sometimes you got to do things just because you can. And like, it was really cool. So there was a whole time when, you know, everybody's getting like, and, and climbing these huge hills. And, and it was, it was pretty fun. Um, That's great stuff. But yeah. So, you know, it was, it, so I think we got fourth. Um, and again, this, you know, as much as we, you know, race to, to try to win and, and stuff like that, this race definitely, you know, will in the athlete's mind have a bit of an asterisk by it um, in the sense that, that races are, are won and lost by the elite teams, by pacing, by, you know, critical sleep decisions, by all those things. And, and that was the kind of unfortunate part of this race is all of that got taken away, right? Like sleep strategy wasn't a thing because you didn't have any option. Your sleep was, you're going to sit here on this bus for six hours, you know, after you finish three stages of the race, of course you're going to sleep. Like there's nothing to do. Right. And then you're not going to sleep later 
because you just, you know, sat on the bus for six hours and now you got to go crush the jungle leg or whatever, you know? And, and so everybody had this same, same sleep strategy. It was, it was like sleep when the race tells you to stop and then go as hard really as you good can. Point that, that, that factor, which is huge in so many races, like who sleeps when and they bank yeah. sleep, they don't bank sleep. That just got taken off the table by virtue of all the restarts. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, and, you didn't even have the choice of like, we're going to sleep here. So we hit this difficult navigation stage during daylight or night. It was like, you just, when they told you to go, you went, you went right. 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 And so it, it became, you know, it was, I think it was very challenging in a different way is because, you know, what I find is there's a lot of teams out there that are really good on the first 24 to 36 hours. If we're talking expedition race, like you just mm -hmm. see it every time you see a world championships, you're like, I've never heard of these teams, but man, they're mixing it up in the top 10 for the first 24 hours. And then they kind of all fall apart. But this had three, it was basically like three 36 hour races, right? With six miserable hours in between each one where you can't really get enough rest to do any good. And, you know, on some level that, that six hours of sleep puts your body in a worse place to start. You know, like, long, like you've done some expedition racing and, you know, like waking up from a 20 minute nap, mm -hmm. like, it is magic, right? Yeah. But the, the second you finish that race mm -hmm. um, and lay down for your first like three or four hours sleep, you wake mm -hmm. up, you feel absolutely horrible. Yeah. And the idea of like being able to do anything is like impossible, right? Right. But the race, you, you just get just enough sleep during an expedition race that you wake up and you kind of like forget that you ever got sleep and your body's willing to move or to run or to bike, right? right? right. But this race was different because like, they stop us and we don't know if there's going to be we restart. We have very little information. So you kind of like let your guard down. Gotcha. Right. And then the guy with the truck shows up and says, we're taking you an hour and a half away. And then you're going to start immediately. We're like what? You know, and at any point during those restarts and those stoppages, did you think that the race was over? I mean, I thought it was going to be interesting, <laughs> you know, how it was still going to be a race and, and they found a way to make it meaningful and, and to allow the people to, to compete and and for that I'm really thankful because let's let's face it this is a this is a uh, a dumb and damaging sport yes. if you take if you just look at the, the bare bones of it like if you right. take away the inspiration and uh, the like the overcoming like the quest aspect of it like it's just dumb right but like and so they were able to even in the midst of these changes like keep that that um, aspect of competitiveness of, of questing, you know, for something greater, you know, for, for your team, for the experience, you know, for the competition. So that when you did get back out there and every single thing hurt and you're like, I don't know if I could spend another day, you know, in this heat climbing up mountains, you figure out a way. And that that to me is is super valuable because when you cross the finish line and that has been the backdrop, then it does all mean something and it, and it means something that's pretty tremendous. Um, as, as opposed to without it. And credit to you and, and to Darren and for the team for, this is the first time that Panama has put a race of this length and breadth on and taking mm -hmm. the risk of upending your life, getting on a plane, bringing all your gear and doing the race. Thank you for, for doing that. Thank you for, for extending the sport out even further. Um, ARWS, you know, they love their races and they love their newer racers. And, and it's a great thing that Panama now has established itself, you know, mm -hmm. and it's one tremendous learning curve for everybody. Right. It's a, yeah. it's a learning curve for the race director and for the for the infrastructure. So good on you for doing that. Um, yeah. Darren, if I can pivot to you for a second, because I'm assuming you have a bit more 
you, Father Jason, you're doing a great job with your wits. You're hanging in there. Proud of you. I know yeah. you're tired. <laughs> Darren, you might have a little bit more of your wits about you because your sleep was not as, as disjointed. A little bit. Yeah. What is your overall take on, as someone who saw the race from a different perspective, what was your overall take on the experience? And did any teams other than Bend jump out at you as really just impressing you on the race? Like, did you come across somebody like, wow, they're killing it? Maybe your newer team that was getting into it. Was it an experience team that was really showing it up? Or were you kind of Ben centered and you didn't see a whole lot of the race? Uh, I didn't see a whole lot. It was mostly Ben centered and then the top, um, yeah, the top eight teams and it kind of like whittled down to the top six. And, you know, it was uh, Estonia, Viterade, um, the Brazilian team, uh, France and uh, Bones and Bend. Um, yeah, those are the main teams I was around. And they, yeah, they really, they all just impressed me with how, how fast they kept going and how they overcame the, the, the heat. Um, like I said, I was feeling sick just standing in it. So I can't even imagine racing in it. Yeah. It's something else. Right. And I guess the point there is when you have no choice, but to race in it, you're racing it. Yeah. It, if, if someone said you have to make it to the next spot, then I would go, but I, boy, I would not be excited about it. Wow. Excellent. 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 Jason, any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just, you know, like to echo how thankful I am for, uh, the Darren was out here and, and I know, that it, it is, is one of those things like traveling, you know, traveling with people that also race. It's been really cool because like, you know, Darren says he couldn't imagine racing and yet, you know, he was doing world championships. Yeah. Also. You, and I, you and I both know what's, what's, what's called time. Right. We both know that if someone got sick on the way to the airport, Darren would have gotten his bike yeah. would have been, and he would have been racing alongside you the entire cool. time. Yeah. And, and Chelsea would have been, you know, uh, doing her thing. And, and like, I, you know, I forget, because putting on races is really challenging in different ways, but it's so much fun because you get to imagine the suffering in the best positive light, like mm -hmm. as if you really want to do that. And then, you know, I saw Darren at the first TA, I think we'd run up and over the mountain and, you know, we didn't like, like I have two new, I have two artificial hips. One of them is like literally a year old. And the 17th of February was the day that my doctor said, oh, it's okay for you to start like running a mile once a week to retrain. Like that was the year anniversary. I'm like, yeah, I've already been doing a little of that. But, and then, you know, they make you start with the worst possible thing, which is this loose boulder proprioceptive run, which I'm not supposed to do for years. Right. And, um, you know, I, I come into that first TA just so close to heat stroke, just brutalized. And I was like, if this was a relay sport, I would have been like, Darren, you're up. <laughs> you're up. Go get him. <laughs> Give me your, Here's my jersey. I'll, I'll take some photos. Um, <laughs> They'll never notice. Take my race jersey. Get going. Um, yeah, but it was it was uh, it was really just neat to be here, and I I love seeing the sport grow, and I love um, I love what what Pablo and his team. You know, I love how excited they were to explore Panama. I don't think that they know how hot it is. But, like, I literally think all the locals here, that like the course designers, like they were excited by the nice weather <laughs> right um which is which is cool it's like holy cow like we saw these people out in the middle of nowhere um on this mountain bike ride like working fully clothed like we're just dripping and they're in like jeans and a button up some wool thing carrying huge heavy loads just trudging along we're like how how is this possible like i would have a heart attack and die i assume for the most part that if they came up to bend They'd be like, it's raining so much. And you'd be like, what are yeah. you talking about? Like, it's, this is yeah. nothing. This is a light storm. Um, 
anyway, so yeah, it was it was really cool to see that, see the culture, everybody was friendly, and and to have these you know countries because essentially I think I, I don't know the details, but I think this is something that Panama is proud of. It's not a race director saying, "Hey, I want to go put a race on." Um, it's like a country saying, "Wow, we saw this," you know, whether it was the Eco Challenge or whatever, and this is awesome, and our country can supply this experience to people mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and and that's always hard as a race director to come into somebody else's backyard and 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 build something but they did a really you know a, a great first race and you know i really think that that i'm you know i'm really excited that we now get to spend three days you know at the, at the tiny village of padasi and on the beach and you know wherever it is in panama I don't, like my race maps everything disappears like from from the world map but um you just but yeah, yeah now it's just it's where you live cool. you get to have ceviche and and like you know lay in hammocks and like have a panamanian vacation um and we've already done all the hard stuff of like you know running up a volcano and and mountain biking through the jungle and all that kind of stuff so yeah Great. Well, guys, thanks for joining the Dark Zone on this Flash podcast. We'll get this up as soon as possible. Best of luck getting home, Darren. Thanks for coming on twice. Jason, great race. Thank everybody for us. Be safe down there. We'll see you when you get home. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Darren and Jason, for your time. Be sure to follow Darren on Instagram at TravelingDarren. If you have enjoyed this episode, please pay a visit to your podcast streaming platform of choice and leave us a review. That's the best way to spread the word. And always feel free to reach out to me, Brian, at ardarkzone.com. Your feedback and guest suggestions are always welcome. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in the Dark Zone, and have fun out there.